Welcome to The Wondering Mind, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Emily Elizabeth. My goal with this show is to help you get out of your own head and step into your full potential. Each week, I'll either be sharing my own personal story or I'll have a guest on providing you with their insight, perspective, and story to show you that anything is possible if you work hard and put your wondering mind to it. So let's get started. Today, I have Maya Reuter with me to share her knowledge, insight, and perspective on what it's like to be a social worker in 2020. Maya completed her undergrad at IUS and received her master's through Spalding University. So if you'd like to hear more about Maya and the ins and outs of social work in our society today, then keep on listening. Today, I have Maya Reuter with me. Thank you for joining me today, Maya. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Absolutely. I'm really excited. So let's dive into some questions and get to know you a little bit better and to hear a little bit more about your social work journey. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you chose a career in social work. So I've always just kind of been on this journey of trying to figure out what I want to do with my life and what the best way to help people. I've always wanted to help people, but I just didn't know exactly how I was going to do it. So in high school, I took a bunch of psych classes and then going into college at IUS, I decided to major in psychology because that's what everybody tells you. Like, okay, if you want to help people, it's either education, nursing, or psychology. Those are three. And I can't deal with blood. So nursing was definitely off the table there. (laughs) And then I thought about teaching for a while, but just something about just the mind and working in the realm of psychology just kind of felt right to me. So I did that. I decided to go with a degree in psychology. And to be honest with you, I didn't even know that social work was a thing. In my undergrad, no one really talked about it. They didn't offer it at IUS. I really wanted to work with children. So my goal was get my undergrad in psych, and then I would either get a PsyD or just a master's in counseling. So my very last year, I decided to intern at actually the agency I work for now. And they do a bunch of different stuff, and we can kind of talk about that later. One of their main oriented goals is community work. And with community work comes social work, not so much psychology, even though that's a huge component of it. But I didn't realize, you know, when I think of social work, I always thought of like the Department of Child Services, you know, that realm. I didn't realize how vast social work really was. So I interned there for about six months and honestly just fell in love with the work, fell in love with what they did, fell in love with the community aspect of it, and from there decided to pursue a career in case management. And then as I continued being a case manager and learning about the community aspect, I really just moved and gravitated towards social work. 
What are some of the things that you have to do as a case manager? So as a case manager, there's a lot of different roles and depending on what agency you work for as well. My particular role as a case manager at my agency is I worked directly with juveniles who were on probation and I also work with families that have been affected by the Department of Child Services. Our agencies in Southern Indiana. So what we do is we're contractors and we get referrals from the juvenile probation and Southern Indiana Department of Child Services and our goal is to get them reunified with their families if it's a Department of Child Services issue or if it's juvenile probation our goal is to get them to stay out of jail and really connect with their lives and get back on track whether that's with school whatever that looks like each case is definitely going to be different actually just had a case that closed and I'm so very proud of them it was a three-year ongoing case and the father was working on his recovery and it took a really long time but we had to do different things like getting him treatment for addiction getting his daughter some different treatments for mental health you know things like that so my goal as a case manager was to make sure that they were getting their treatment i also took on like a mentor role with the daughter and after three years of fighting very hard they finally are doing really well in the case closed last month. So that's a just an example of kind of what we do as case managers. That's a huge deal to be able to help these people with their lives, get their lives back together. It's remarkable. So through your facility, rather than just sending these particular people to a therapist, like just a singular therapist's office, they can come to a social worker facility. What would you call this facility, by the way? I'm sorry. No, you're fine. So um, our agency is called Associates and Counseling and Psychotherapy. We're in Southern Indiana, and there's all different contractors that work there from case managers to art therapists to, you know, licensed social workers. We also have a psychologist on staff. I mean, we honestly just do it all. There's such a wide range of treatment options at our agency. Agency is the word I was looking for. So that's amazing that, and you know what's so crazy? I feel like a lot of people don't realize that these agencies exist. Absolutely, you are 100% right. I think everybody kind of moves you towards therapy, which is awesome and amazing and such an important component to your mental health you know, treatment. But wraparound community services are really, I think, what make the big difference. And that, to me, is what social work is all about. The world of social work and the field is so vast and those community wraparound services like case management and different kinds of treatment, I think really make the difference. And there, you're 100% right, there's not a lot of knowledge out there. What are some of the emotionally challenging struggles that you personally have had to face? Because like the example of the case that you just provided us, that can become emotionally draining and a bit overwhelming to have to work with these people and their, you know, circumstances and their situations. So what are some ways that you're able to work through these situations so that it doesn't, you know, emotionally affect you? 
you know, that's a really good question. I think that if you would have asked me three years ago, I would have answered completely different than kind of how I feel about it now. I've been in this field for about six years and do not get me wrong, that is for many a very short amount of time, but six years doing anything, learn a lot. I've definitely learned that emotional connections are a good thing. If I am emotionally invested with this family and this person, then I am more likely to give it my all. But what I've also learned is that I cannot be more emotionally invested than they are. So finding that balance of being empathetic and caring, but also understanding that I can't care more than they do is very hard and took me personally a really long time to kind of grasp. I had to talk to a lot of coworkers, talk to, you know, some supervisors. I have someone that I consider a mentor. His name is Logan Emmett that I work with, and he is just amazing. He's a licensed clinical social worker, and he has helped me quite a bit with that space of, you know, if I care more than they do, then you know, people are never going to do it for themselves. And that's a huge piece in therapy in general. I think as, you know, you're working with a therapist, whether you're doing it because you're learning more about therapy or you're doing it as a client, you know, you have to be the one invested and learning that I can't save everybody was a hard thing to learn, but very much necessary in the, in this field. As time has gone on, it's, gotten easier and easier. I've, I also work with a therapist myself and that I think is also extremely important is I think sometimes there's, there's a taboo around mental health period, but I, I think that there's even more of a taboo around mental health workers getting help in mental health. You know, I think there's this idea that you as a mental health worker should know and be able to just fix yourself. And that's not the case. And we shouldn't look at that that way. Just because I am qualified and able and love what I do, you know, I'm still human. I still have things that I have to deal with. I still have my own trauma. And it is much healthier to work through it on your own rather than, you know, working with clients and projecting your own feelings and emotions onto them and trying to work on yourself through them. I think that happens a lot when you're not taking care of your own needs. Yeah, something you mentioned that's very important and I think rings very true is the stigma behind mental health workers and their mental health. Do you think there's a stigma surrounding social work and the work that you all provide the community? I think the idea that social work, you know, is only the Department of Child Services is this idea of, you know, someone taking, coming into your home and taking your children away, kicking and screaming type of visual that I also felt and saw until I worked in the field. I'm not going to lie. I was a little put off with the idea of social work. I was like, that's not what I want to be. That's not who I want to be. And I work with a lot of Department of Child Services workers, and that's also not what their job looks like. But the media has portrayed this idea of what social workers look like, and it it has become a you know a pretty stigmatized field of work. That is why 
there are less and less social workers out in the field. So it has definitely become an area that I think we as social workers need to do better at showing the world of who we are. I think there's also something that I learned when I got my master's. I went to Spalding and there were a lot of people in my cohort that had a lot of experiences as already in the social work field, but there were a lot of people also who didn't have that experience. And hearing their perspectives was really interesting because they kind of got the perspective of what we're talking about, you know, like the kind of the negative, but there's so much more to it. There's, you know, social work, you can work in policy, you can be a you know, micro level social worker and work individually with people. You can work in residential facilities. There's so much variety. You can work at Humana. Humana hires social workers all the time. You know, there's a huge variety in what we as social workers can do. A lot of people don't know about it, you know, kind of gets swept to the side in many aspects. What's your favorite thing about being a social worker? Oh, that's a good question. I'm a strong believer that a human has many different healths. So there's the spiritual health, there's the mental health, there's the physical health, there's the family and relationship health, and then there's, you know, your basic needs being met. So one of my favorite things about being a social worker is being able to put all those components into one. I think that in a lot of different fields of mental health, your brain and your mental health is the only thing that is focused on. And in social work, it is literally part of our code of ethics that that is the opposite. We look at every single component of a, of a person and be able to truly find what the best treatment for them is. So if someone were to locate an agency, can you kind of walk us through the process of how they would be able to find the right fit for them and the process of getting someone into the agency to receive help? Absolutely. So sadly, with the way our healthcare works is different providers can only take uh, specific insurances. That does not mean that you can't go in and see a licensed social worker that you want. A lot of social workers will do a scale rate of pay. They'll do a pro bono. They'll do pay out of pocket. If, you know, there's a connection that you have with someone, but they can't take your insurance. So uh, my first recommendation would be to kind of decide where in a financial place you are in. You know, are you willing to pay out of pocket? Do you have to find someone in your insurance network? And then once they determine that, there are some great Facebook groups that you can search for if you specifically want a licensed social worker. You can search on Facebook like local licensed clinical social workers. You can also put like Louisville, Kentucky if you're looking for that. Wherever you are, you can find them. And then I would reach out to them. Most mental health workers, including licensed social workers, will do a one-on-one session first. And, you know, that first session is just more of a meet and greet. You know, you kind of talk to them about what they need, you know, what they're looking for, their past, 
we call that a biopsychosocial. So we will just kind of spend the whole first session asking questions, getting some intake information, things like that. So my recommendation for you for that first session is bring a list of questions with you. You know, things like what evidence-based practices do you use? And we can talk about that as well, about what that, what that means. You know, what is your history? How long have you been a licensed clinical social worker? What populations have you worked with? Those are all really great questions. And honestly, that's one of my favorite things when I sit down with a client for the first time and they have some questions for me. I think it shows that they're prepared and that they want to take their mental health seriously. So that would be my next recommendation. There's a lot of different agencies in Louisville, Kentucky and Southern Indiana. If there's a specific agency that you know of, you could also give them a call. What I've done in the past is there's a addiction and recovery center. It's called Morton Center off of Baxter. And if I have a client who is interested in going there, but also I know that they don't offer all the different types of therapies, I've had them call and sit down with them and then they will refer you to another agency. So if there's someone that you're familiar with and comfortable with, just having those conversations even though, you know, at the end of the day, we all are a business and we all have bills to pay. We are community, you know, mental health is a community and we all have to help each other out. So that stigma of like, oh, I want to keep clients, like that is not, that's not a healthy space to be in. So helping each other, sending other agencies, like Ireland and Southern Indiana that offers um, some home-based services that we don't offer. So we've referred them there, things like that. So that would be another recommendation is that, you know, just do your research, look around, call a couple of different places and make sure that that person is the right person for you. Why is it so important to have social workers within our community? I think I might be a little biased, you know, as a social worker, but I think the, the community aspect is what is so important. And in the world of social work, you know, our code of ethics are pretty exact. It talks about the importance of community within the individual. Our first value is service. And the ethical principle is social workers' primary goal is to help people in need and to address social problems. That is our first ethical principle. You know, before we learn anything, that is what we learn. We learn those principles. And that being the first one, I think, just honestly says a lot. We as social workers are taught that whether we personally feel a, a certain way, that doesn't matter. Our goal is to help the client. And if we can't do it, that's okay. But it is our mandate to ensure that we find that individual, a person that can help them. And that is what our community needs. People looking out for everyone, you know, making sure that I might not be able to get you what you need, but I'm going to find the resource that can. And that's why it's so important is because the world is suffering and we can find community help from people like social workers. 
do you think that if there were more social workers accessible to the homeless community and those that are suffering with dire mental health needs, that the rate of homelessness would decline? That's a really good question. I do. I personally work with a lot of houseless individuals through my addiction recovery work. I also work quite a bit with human trafficking individuals in Southern Indiana. A lot of the people that I've worked with at some point in their recovery have been houseless. That's a very typical, normal space for a lot of individuals to be in. Case management is a good example of kind of an issue with the medical field of insurance. And as a case manager, I cannot get paid through insurance. I have to have a referral given by the state or given by a different grant. So it becomes very difficult to always help all the people that I would like to. I've taken on a lot of pro bono cases, which I'm perfectly okay with. But after a while, you know, there's only so much that I can do without those referrals because after a while it becomes a liability issue. It also becomes an ethical issue of being able to help them for a certain amount of time. But case management is is a great tool to kind of help with getting individuals on their feet. Case management is something that I think everybody could benefit from. I have helped people from, you know, finding housing to getting their credit score in check and being able to purchase their own home, finding jobs, you know, applying for food stamps, applying for Medicaid. All of those things are there and accessible, but the issue that I find is not the accessibility, but the understanding of how to navigate these resources. You know, the family resource centers in the various cities are great, but they're overworked. They have hundreds of people that they deal with. They don't have the time to sit with someone and explain how to go through this application process for Medicaid, for food stamps, for housing, for unemployment. That's a huge one right now. And that is something that I can do. I explain it and help fill it out and then navigate the process afterwards, making sure that they have their IDs, making sure that they have their birth certificates, social security cards. I think people think that this is such an easy process. You go in, you fill out a piece of paper and it's done, it's over. But that's not, that's not how this works. You have interviews, you have callbacks, you have to make sure that you have the right paperwork. And even if I'm not the one doing it for them, having someone to come to and be like, all right, Maya, is this everything I need? And I'm like, nope, this is what you're missing. And they're like, okay, we got this. Rather than kind of in this panic mode of not knowing exactly what you, what to do. And as we know, as humans, if you're too anxious, you give up. You know, they can't navigate these spaces and they're in these situations that they can't get out of. I think having that piece is just so important and can really make the difference in the houseless community. I agree. I think what you all do for a living is beyond phenomenal. I think being able to get people back on their feet, dedicating your life's work to helping them figure things out when no one else was there for them is amazing. And we need more people like that. This was a pleasure having you on to discuss this information. 
I learned so much more about social work than I had known previously. So I hope that our listeners have as well. I know you're on social media. I know you're not super active, but just in case, can you go ahead and let the followers know where they can find you on social media? Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. My handle is my name. It's Maya Reuter. It's M-A-J-A and then R-E-U-T-E-R. You can find me on both and I would love to talk with anybody. If you have any questions, you're more than welcome to DM me and if I can help or I can be a resource. If you need some help finding something in the community, I am happy to do that as well. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure chatting with you this afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me on the Wondering Mind podcast. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Stay tuned for another episode coming at you soon. I upload episodes every Wednesday. And until next time, have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Wondering Mind podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you wouldn't mind just taking a few moments and leaving us a review, letting us know what you think of the podcast. Also, feel free to follow us on Instagram at the Wondering Mind Podcast and on Twitter at TWM Podcast.